Good morning. How are you? Listen, I, I know that they're telling you that Morgan's off preaching the gospel somewhere. Let me tell you how this really happened. You guys ready for this? You guys know who Daniel Stevens is out in Midland, Odessa, right? He wanted to go to the final four. So he calls me, would you speak? I'll have Morgan out here, fine. You know, if you want to worship idols, go. It's fine with me. Then Morgan says, hey, guess what? After I speak in Midland, Odessa, I got tickets to the final four. So I'm just here to tell you, I'm the only holy one amongst the three of them. I'm just telling you, it's unbelievable. By the way, I'm impressed that um, the word Pentateuch was used on this stage. Wow. Normally, at Spirit-filled churches, and come on, you guys know who I am, I'm, I'm all in, words like Pentateuch aren't used, right? It's like the first five books of the Bible, but no, Pentateuch. I mean, I'm impressed. Couldn't remember his wife's name, but I'm just saying, Pentateuch. Thanks for that $5 to say that. That was awesome. It's like the time I asked an eight-year-old once in church, what, uh, what's your fa- who's your favorite person in the Bible other than Jesus, you know? And I thought they'd give me, a kid would give me some short name, you know, Luke or Jude or whatever. Kid comes back, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. <laughs> now, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I was you know, beyond a doctorate at that point, I had to go look it up. I wasn't sure who Mahar Shalal Hash, but turns out it's Isaiah's son, eight-year-old, right? So I'm impressed whenever, anytime, anytime people use the big word, you know, for something. Um, hey, let me ask you two things this morning. First of all, I want to tell you that I talk fast, okay? And I'm aware, I spent 10 years in Abilene, Texas, so I know this isn't Abilene, but this is Texas, and we're, we're slow drawlers. But I just want to say, I talk fast like a Yankee on drugs, and so just speed up with me, all right? The other thing is, would it be okay if we get past that guest speaker thing? You know what I'm talking about. I stand up here and pull rabbits out of my hat, you know, and tell jokes, and you guys hold up signs, 8.2, 9.6, whatever, like we're at the Olympics. Can we just cut to the chase? Is that all right? You, know, you, go, you guys just accept the fact that I'm a believer, and I'm part of your spiritual family with every nation and all whatever, all the people you hang with. Everybody except Jim LaFoon. I'm not hanging with him anymore. Because um, I gain 900 pounds every time I get around him. But, um, but I, I, I just, you know, everybody you guys hang with, I hang with, so we're all in the same place. I want to talk to you this morning uh, about, a, about a topic and do a, do a little teaching that's called You Were Born for This. You Were Born for This. And by the way, before I go any further, I'll give you all these prep things first, and then I won't have to do it uh, next time I come. I attend uh, Grace Covenant Church in D.C., now that's 4,000 African-Americans, largely African-Americans. They call, I'm, on, I'm on staff like 3%. They call me the white spot. And uh, <laughs> so the spirit is not moving unless somebody, and the worship's done by Cool and the Gang, for those of you who remember uh, that, that band. Is anybody in here my age? Come on. And uh, all these young people don't know what music is. And then, uh, and the spirit's not moving unless somebody goes, oh, right, you know, why is the keyboard's being played? So I'm used to people jumping up and slapping high five during the sermon. Do not wipe me this morning. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't do it. Don't do it. Just don't even, don't wipe me. Don't do it. All right? You were born for this. All of you know what it's like 
to turn on your television, see what's going on in the world today, and just feel that heaviness come on you. Come on, right? We've all sat around and talked about this crazy presidential election. Don't say anything else about it. And I don't want to hear any names. And uh, uh, we all know what it's like to watch what ISIS is doing or reports about that. We all know what it's like to watch what happened in Brussels, what happened in Paris, what happened. You, don't, you understand what I'm saying. We all know what it's like to hear those heavy reports and just, oh, my God. And, and we have a tendency to say in our souls um, the, the line from that great movie, Dr. Shivago, if you've ever seen it, a character says, what a terrible time to be alive. What a terrible time to be alive. It's a, it's a, it's a line. Dr. Shivago's a movie. It was one of the great, for those of you under 30, I'm just telling you, an awesome movie. It's got music in it, real live, like music. I don't know why I'm going with that, but it's fun. And so, um, but I think it's important that we remember that we were born to live in this time. That's hard for us to sometimes recall because you know, we can all look at things that make us just wish we'd, you know, Lord, like I'm a historian uh, by academic training, so I could go, Lord, couldn't you have me be born in, you know, 1732, you know, my doctorate's in colonial American history. I understand, I understand the 1700s better than I understand what's happening today. Could you just, why couldn't I have been born then? And then you go to scripture and scripture confirms what I'm going to confirm today. And that is that you are right where you are supposed to be. You are who you are supposed to be, give or take whatever you've added to it. And, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll break that out a little bit. Let me, give you, let me give you a little example of what I think we need a dose of today. Psychologists, Christian psychologists primarily, have figured out that we uh, draw different concepts of God from each of our two parents or d- people who fulfill that parental role. Uh, you guys know very well that when a mother is on the playground, and a, and a father is on the playground, and the kid skins his knee, who does he go to? Mom. We don't want dad. Dad doesn't know anything about skin knees, or if he does, he doesn't care, right? We want mom. What's she? She's the warm sinner. She's the one who hugs you and takes care of the little boo-boo, and all that kind of stuff. That's what she does, but, but the kids go into mom. Now, on, so, so what, what, what concept does the kid get from, uh, from, from mom? God's there, he cares, he loves. Now, we've had that in wonderful ways in our lives. What's a little bit more rare or a little less prevalent in our lives, culturally, and maybe some of us who didn't have fathers or didn't grow up with male figures in our lives, is the other one. Because dads represent the image, a different image of God. I don't know about you dads, but my kids had a lot of experiences like this. I would be swinging them or, or playing with them, and if they had the words to form in their brain, they would say, I'm about to die, but it's awesome. You know what I mean? <laughs> when my kids were little, little you know, bundles of diapers, I would hold them up. Now, I'm still almost 6'5". I would hold them up in my hand, and they knew what was coming, and they'd start to do that baby wobble thing. Let's go. It's going to be awesome. And then I would drop them and catch them down here. I got game. They never bounced, all right? And you can imagine grandmothers, mothers-in-law, any woman within 100 miles. Oh, my God, arrest him. My kids thought it was awesome. I'd spin them. We had two great big Samoyjos, great big white dogs, got the curly tails. I'd ride them around on the... Awesome. The kids are all... You can always see that look in their eye like, I'm going to die, but it's awesome. 
Well, what do they learn from that kind of righteous, rowdy fathering? That God is terrifyingly powerful, but he can be trusted. Come on. He's terrifyingly awesome, but he can be trusted. And, you know, uh, if, if, you've, if you've seen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the movie, or you've read the, uh, the novels by C.S. Lewis, uh, then you know that one of the great lines is there is said by a, a character named Mr. Beaver. Those of you who don't know anything about Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe think I've lost my mind at this moment. But there's a talking beaver in this show. And, and, the, and the, someone asks about Aslan, who is the Christ figure, is he safe? And, and Mr. Beaver, who suddenly turns into a prophet, says, uh, oh, he's not safe, but he's good. Not safe, but he's good. And that's what we need to know in our generation. We have not been promised safety We have not been promised calm. We have not been promised ease. We have not even been promised, you know, that that, that we will uh, be the most successful. He'll meet your needs, he'll take care of you, you know what I'm saying, but I mean, I'm not saying you're going to be on the cover of People magazine or Lifestyles of the Rich and Disgusting or whatever it is that, uh, you know, is, is, is popular, Forbes or what have you, but I'll tell you what, he's good. He's good, and he puts you right here. Now, let's look at two verses real quickly um, that I want to break out about Jesus, and then I want to make application to you. And then I have a seven-point sermon. Come on, baby. Three-point sermons are for Baptists. You know what I'm saying? I'm just playing. When I'm talking to the Baptists, I say they're for charismatics. I don't know. I just um, pick on everybody. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, uh, it says, and I'm using God's version of the Bible, the NIV. Uh, <laughs> see how many fights I can pick before Morgan comes back. I have to clean it up. It says this about Jesus. It says, but when the time had fully come, you've read this in various versions or whatever you're using, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sons. Now, it says when the time had fully come. The Greek word there is pleroma. It means pregnant. When the time was pregnant, when, when God had fully prepared the time, uh, so it would be at the right moment, uh, ready to give birth to awesome things or whatever it was he wanted to do, somehow matching the purposes of God for the life of Jesus on earth, then the Messiah came. When the times were pregnant. By the way, I could go now for the next five hours and tell you how horrible those times were, how terrible they were. And yet God says, times were pregnant. I had them, I had them, I had them prepared just right for the birth of the Messiah. So God prepared the times for the coming of Jesus. But over in Hebrews 5.8, there's something we don't often talk about. And in Hebrews 5.8, it says this, by the way, I've just bragged about the NIV, and sure enough, this is the one verse in the New Testament where the NIV breaks into Yoda speak. I mean, it just goes, flips out. Son though he was, it says, son though he was, you know, son though he was, how about we put that in English? Though he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. I want to say to you that this is not about his sufferings on the cross or his passion week or the last week. That's not what this is talking about. He learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Hmm. It's not talking about the last week of his life. 
See, Jesus came in human form, and even though he was sinless, there was still a perfecting process. How, can you be, how do you have a perfecting process? I mean, the word perfect means without flaw, right? Absolute in its final form? No. This version of the word perfect means suited to a purpose. In the Bible, when God says, be perfect as God is perfect, now, if it meant to be as flawless as God is, that would be impossible for us human beings. What it means is be suited to a purpose. Our founding fathers said exactly that when they said in order to form a more perfect union. Well, there can't be more perfect than perfect in the traditional sense of the word, but the word perfect in this sense means suited to a purpose. So follow me now. God prepared the times for Jesus, and then once Jesus was on earth, he did a finishing work, to prepare Jesus to be the source of salvation for all people. He prepared the times, and in the times, he prepared the man. You follow what I'm saying? And that's what he's done with you. That's what he's done with you. Your times, your seasons, the exact day on which you were born, all of this was determined by the Lord. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to have a Calvinist Arminian debate since you guys use the word Pentateuch. I can, I can talk about Calvinism and Arminianism. I don't want to have a, Calvinism, a Calvinist Arminian debate. I do want to affirm what Scripture says. Scripture says that before you were even born, God set a purpose for your life. That's the Bible. That's not John Calvin. That's not Jacob Arminius. That is the Bible. The Bible says in Psalm 139 that you were formed in the womb. God gave you your... Per- Actually, in the Hebrew, it says God wove your personality... And he gave you your basic body. Some of us have added a little to that sense, but we basic person, your basic body. And, and I don't want to make that silly. I don't have time to go into it in de- depth. But, you know, I'm 6'5". I wear a size 15 shoe. And uh, there are some other, uh, you know, big thing, like buying clothes for me. My wife, my mother just go crazy. I always fought against my physical size and my, you know, why, why can't I just fit? in a normal plane seat, like a normal human being, you know what I'm saying? Why do I have to get stuck or whatever, you know? Uh, but, but in time, you start to realize God made you the way you are. God made you white, black, male, female, put that big smile on your face, gave you whatever, some of the things we all wrestled with when we were teenagers, that was the Lord's doing. Unique stuff. And when I went to Africa, and I, and I walked the villages, or in the Middle East where I do a lot of work, and I walked the, 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 the towns, and the little kids come out, and they look down at my hands and look at my feet, and they stick their little feet up next to mine to compare, you know? And then they hold my hands up, and their hands are like, you know, that on my hand. I go, well, this is, I mean, I'm like the jolly green giant in this thing, you know what I'm saying? And, they, and the chiefs come out, and they go, the kids love you, you know? And uh, I don't care, I'll be as freaky as I need to be to get them all to come out and hang out. You follow what I'm saying? So God had purposes for all that stuff, and I'm just saying, don't look at me like I'm weird, I'm destined. Well, so are you. So I, I, and also, by the way, Psalm 139 says that all of your days are numbered before one of them is lived. Come on. We don't talk that way, we talk like everything's an accident, but God's got it. God's got it, he's got it, he's got you. Then Philippians chapter 3 says, when you got saved, however that happened, when you got saved, it was Jesus taking hold of you for a purpose. I don't care. I have a friend who, uh, being one of my friends, is an idiot, and he, uh, he was, uh, before he was saved, he was a heavy drinker, and he was depressed, he was suicidal, went into a hotel room, and he, and he, and he was going to kill himself, and he, and he was drunk, and he, so he put the gun to his head, but he didn't close the, you know, the chamber, and so he, you know, the billet, bullets fell on the floor, and so he's drunk, he's going to get the bullets back in the gun, he bends over, grabs him, his, his head bumped the TV set, Okay? This is back when TVs had knobs, okay? 
bumps the TV set and turns it on. The next thing he hears is this, you need to be saved. It's Billy Graham. So my drunk idiot friend who's not smart enough to kill himself, right? Bumps the TV, hears Billy Graham gets saved. Sounds like an accident, right? No, it's Jesus taking hold of him. I don't care if you got saved on a chick tract, on the back of a toilet in a gas station in Bucksnort, Tennessee. There is one, by the way. It's Jesus reaching for you. Do you follow what I'm saying? Some of you got saved. I know a guy who got saved off a Datsun commercial, okay? Because Datsun used to have a commercial line. This is back before all of you were born. Datsun used to have a commercial line. It was Datsun Saves. Well, they messed with Jesus. So Jesus used this to lead a guy to Jesus because the question formed in his head, does Dotson save? And if not, who saves? And by the end of the commercial, the guy was on his knees seeking Jesus. God can use anything. So God uses stuff. By the way, he's determined a whole lot of other things about your life. The Bible says he determines your times and your seasons, your habitations, some of the stuff you wrestle with about yourself. God determined. So what we need this morning is a great big dose, and I'm not, I'm not speaking of your, family, your biological family. We need a great big dose of that other thing that is true of God that we tend to forget in a society that looks like it's happening at the will of man. What did ISIS do today? Okay, that's important. But you know what? God's got ISIS. God rules over ISIS. What, who's going to be president? Uh, you know I work in politics. I care about that stuff. But at the same time, the Bible says God guides the heart of kings like a water course. I'll put him up there and then I'll override him. God called a pagan king named Cyrus his pastor. If Cyrus can be a pastor, I'm not even going to say any names. I'm not even going to say any names. Well, I'm so, I live in D.C. I live in the backwater of all that stuff. So what I'm trying to say is we've got to live in the real world, function politically, function economically. You understand, I'm not trying to make an excuse for not being fully two feet on the ground in the real world. But don't lose your understanding that God rules in the affairs of men. And that what's been determined about you is unbelievably important. Now, let me run through my seven points, and the anointing is going to come, baby. You watch. No Baptist sermon. No, I'm just, I'm just having fun. I'm just having fun. The first thing you need to know of these quick seven points is that God is always doing more than you know. Now, hear me on this. I live in D.C., I work with some of the people you watch on TV. I mean, when I say work, I have a consulting firm. We guide them, help them, whatever, you know, people we, we like, care about. Um, the rest can just go on to hell. We don't get, no, I'm just playing, I'm just playing, I'm just playing, I'm just playing. But anyway. And you turn on TV and you watch CNN or you watch Fox or you watch MSNBC or whoever it is you watch. And when you turn off that TV, you think you know the whole story. The kingdom of God is not being reported on Fox. I'm not picking on Fox. I'm a commentator for them. I chose them because I'm, the kingdom of God is not being depicted on CNN. I'm not picking on CNN. I appear on there regularly. I'm saying to you that you've got to look at the world through a grid of biblical understanding and stop thinking, bless his heart, a friend of mine, that Sean Hannity, not an amen in the room on Brother Sean. I'm sorry about that. I'm just messing with you. Or whoever, Chris Matthews or O'Donnell, all of they're doing the best they can do from their human perspective, but they are not reporting on what God is doing. And we think we know stuff because we live in a People magazine, Disclose Your Age, 
And so we think right now we know everything about all the people running for office and what's God doing. Let me tell you, it's not true. I'm going to take more time on this point than I will on the others. I was in a plane, a private plane once uh, with a friend who is a trainer of pilots of, uh, of, of that kind of plane, you know, the corporate kind of jet. I was, just, I was just out there on a Saturday when he was messing with stuff. And he said, hey, let's do something. And I, I, being an idiot, I said, sure. So he pushed a button and, and screens came over the windows and he, and he spun the plane. And when he was done, he said, hey, how are we flying right now? And I, I don't read the instruments. So I just felt my body, and I'm all strapped in in a harness and everything. I said, well, I think we're flying upright. He opens the screen. We are upside down 10 feet over the tree line. Out, this is out where that's legal, out the sticks. What went wrong? I was leaning to my senses rather than to the instruments that had been provided. I couldn't read the instruments, so I didn't know where I was. Come on now. You aren't going to know where you are if all you're doing is watching the news and think you know the whole thing. God is always doing more than you know. He's doing more than you know in the lives of people you don't like on TV. He's doing more than you know in the people, lives of people you like. I have seen hard left and hard right at a prayer service in, in Washington, D.C., tears streaming down their face. I would have thought when the two of them got within five feet of each other, they would have shot out of opposite windows. That's how opposite they were politically. God was doing more than I understood. Do you follow what I'm I'm saying more than I more than I understand. I'm not talking politics primarily. I'm just saying whatever it is, he's doing more than you know. So first of all, humble up. Second of all, be encouraged. He's doing more than you know. I was. I'm not trying to drop names, but I was interviewed. In fact, I won't say the name. I was interviewed by one of the top newsmen in all of America some years ago, and I thought, oh boy, you better get ready, Stephen, because he's going to be gunning for you. I'd written a book on the American military, and there was a controversy at the time, so I'm sitting there, and it's kind of interview where you call your dad, and go, hey, dad, guess who's interviewing me, and not you. Anyway, you have fun with all that stuff. So my father was a high-ranking general, so we were always having fun competing. But anyway, all that to say, I'm sitting there talking to this guy, and when the camera goes off. He leans forward. He says, you know, I haven't really been connected to Jesus. My grandmother told me I would never be fully happy until I connected up with Jesus. So I've been reading my Bible. I'm looking at this guy. I mean, you're just going, I've heard about conversations like this, right? I thought preachers were lying. You know what I mean? I just, <laughs> really? The, one of the biggest pagans on the planet leaned forward and said, hey, Jesus is an awesome idea. Is that really what? Uh, and it happened. And I remember I was so humbled because I had been, I had been praying up like a, sh- like a prayer shield. Put up, Lord, put angels between me and this pagan. You know what I'm saying? Like just, just jujitsu this fool in the spirit. Whoop him, you know? I didn't think about his soul. I didn't think God might be doing something in his life. You know, I mean, God can't work in CBS after all. I mean, the Holy Spirit's prevented legally, constitutionally from working in CBS. I went home in tears, man, because this dude was close to giving his life to Jesus. And I was, oh, oh, I've read five spiritual warfare books. I'll whoop you, you know, kind of attitude. Number two. So number one, God's doing more than you know. Number two is this. Hear me. Jesus is Lord. Now, wait a minute. Let's put some feet on that. Just listen to me. The Bible says in Proverbs 21, 1, he rules the hearts of kings. The Bible says in Romans 13, he determines all authority. The Bible says in Daniel 2, 21, he sets up and disposes of rulers. Isaiah, I'll do what I want with the people, the people, kings of the earth. 
He determines where men live, Acts 17. He determines the time set for men, Acts 17. He controls the weather, Bible says, Psalm 148, Psalm 147, etc. He controls the times and the seasons, Daniel 2. He controls animals at times when he wants to, not cats, because cats are evidence that demons can live in animals. God can't, God can't do anything for cats, I'm just telling you. He does as he pleases with the peoples of the earth. He determines the outcomes of wars. These are not preaching points in the Bible. This is how God rules the world. I, I, don't, I'm not, I understand it raises all kinds of questions. Did God know that I would do that before the creation of the world? I don't know. Did God, you know, is God using ISIS in some way? I don't know. I just know that ISIS has not somehow slipped out of God's government of the world. You follow what I'm saying? And I'm not going to get freaked out. I understand. I, I was not just six months ago uh, standing on some land and the ISIS black flags were right there, just like 10 miles off of the perch where I was standing with Kurdish Peshmerga. I mean, I understand they're terrible. I've got friends who have been killed by ISIS. But what I'm saying is that being true, God's got it. Doesn't mean we don't have to do stuff. Doesn't mean some folks you know, may not need to be you know, dealt with. I'm just saying God's got it. Jesus is Lord. When you say that, what do you mean? Do you mean he rules the world? Do you mean his, his words hold all things together? Is that what you mean? Or do you have a lighter kind of personal, devotional, spiritual, emotional experience of the lordship of Jesus? He's either the Lord God ruler of the universe or he's not who he said he was and your salvation's in question. Do you follow what I'm saying? He rules. Number two, Ephesians chapter, I mean, number three, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter two, very quickly, The Bible says that you have been destined for victories that have been prepared for you. We get up in the morning, we read, watch the news, we read the paper, we hear the bad stuff, we listen to people complain on the cable news, you know, scream fests, we hear how terrible everybody is and how the whole world's going to hell and how a hundred years ago it was awesome. Really? I know a little bit about history. I remember asking somebody, well, when would you like to have lived? I would have liked to have lived in 1918. Really? Really? I listened to them talk. Oh, it was an awesome time. Really, I kept saying. I just couldn't stop saying, really? (laughs) Well, let's start with the fact that 90 million people died of influenza in 1918. I'm thinking that's a downer right there. There's There's no great time to live. I had one person who didn't know any history, so I would like to have lived in, 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 in Nashville in, 19, in 1861. Really? Like the Yankees took over the whole town, and it was hell for five years. But you go right on with yourself in your time travel and move to 18... This is the best. You've got more power in your pocket with your iPhone, maybe with your Samsung, but definitely with your iPhone. With your iPhone... Then people had, and you know what I'm talking about? Okay, okay, I'm off it, I'm off it. For we, are, for we are God's handiwork, that Greek work is the word for poem. We're God's poem, created in Christ Jesus to works in advance, which he prepared for us. There's folks out there just waiting for you to show up at the restaurant to get them saved or to, or to encourage them. or You know what I'm saying? There's business deals and whatever you're about. You know, people to impact, folks to marry, remember their name when you do. And, you know, you don't understand what I'm saying. God's prepared victories. He's prepared successes. He's prepared signs and wonders moment. He's prepared things for you. In, in the middle of craziness, read some of the stories of history. In the middle of world wars and persecutions, God does amazing miracles. Okay. 
Number four is this. There's a certain amount of suffering. Now, please hear me on this because I'm not trying to build some cult. There's a certain amount of suffering that's destined. Remember Paul said to the Thessalonians, don't be discouraged by my sufferings. Don't you know that I was destined for them? Now, that's hard. There wasn't one amen in the room when I said you're destined for suffering. It's like we came here to hear the good news. Would you please shut up? Sure, sure. Giving birth to God's purposes on earth requires, I mean, all births require some pain. All the women said, amen, Amen. shut up men. Uh, Birthing things, doing things. Come on, we'll get on this stage. I'm not picking on anybody because I'll say it too. And we'll talk about taking Austin for Jesus. That's going to happen without some strain. That's going to happen without some stuff, right? You follow what I'm saying? There's some suffering that's destined. Thank God there is. Because destined suffering comes with destined victories and breakthroughs at the same time. The same Lord who creates the season of hardship creates the victory on the other side. Sure, we're destined for hardships. Sure, we're destined for some of them. I'll tell you what scares me is the bumper sticker you see people walk going, driving around with, and it just says, it uses a bad word, it says blank happens, right? Well, that's the pagan view. Okay, bad stuff happens and it has no purpose. Bad stuff happens and there's nothing, it just happens randomly, Folks die, people, that bad things happen. Really? There's no death? I, I, mean, I mean, I live like that, but that's scary. So horrible, terrible, torturous things happen, and there's no redemptive purpose to it? I serve a God who can take every bad thing that happens to me and turn it to my good. Doesn't mean it's not going to hurt for a while. Doesn't mean it's not going to be hard or difficult, but I'll tell you what, turn it to my good. This past week, my wife and I were in New York, and she accidentally flipped a paving stone on top of her foot and broke it. So she's laying in our uh, bed back in Nashville with her foot elevated. And when I left, she wasn't particularly happy, not, not with me, just like she, she might have come on this trip. You know, we don't sometimes know to the last minute. She, she works in the entertainment industry. And I, I called her this morning. You know, all I had already had my time with the Lord, you know, so I could kind of impart, oh, honey, you know, the Lord says, you know, she was having church. Jesus met her in that bed. She said, I think my foot's healed. She's walking around the bedroom. She's having more church than we are. This was a destined victory. You follow? She said, I'm, I'm calling. She's got a friend who's a doctor. I'm going to make her meet me at the x-ray thing today. I'll pay the x-ray technician's salary. I want to know if I've been healed. And if I have, you'll hear the shout down there in Austin. I'm like, you know what? I'm the preacher. I- all the important spiritual stuff's happening here at Mosaic. <laughs> destined victory. Destined victory. Real quick. So what prevents, what prevents the progress, the growth, uh, uh, the, the unfolding of this destined plan? In Jonah 2.8, it says, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I was on the staff of a university once, and I got a page that I was supposed to go to a certain building. When I got there, I want to describe the whole scene, but basically it was a mom screaming and crying and a dad client kind of climbed up on me, said, I'll sue you. I'll sue your mother. I'll sue the university. Well, my mother was dead. So I thought that's going to be an interesting lawsuit. And, and, uh, and there's a little kid over at a candy machine screaming his just for all eternity, right? Just screaming. I couldn't talk to the mom. She was nuts. The father, I'll just talk to the university attorneys. I can't help you. And by the way, my mother's in heaven, but go on. And, and, uh, and I walked to a little boy. Well, he had his hand inside a candy machine. He was stuck. He, and, and there was blood coming down his arm. And that's what the parents were all upset about. And, 
you know, I looked around, thought for a minute, and then I looked down, and I finally realized what was going on. I said, son, let go of the candy bar. His arm came right out. He had a death grip on a baby Ruth. I mean, that, was the whole, that was the whole story. Now, he acted like the candy. I mean, when was the last time a candy machine walked up to you and grabbed your arm? You know what I'm saying? Like, parents were flipping out left and right. But, you know, the candy machine had not grabbed him by the arm. He was, he was crying because, and, and actually was, you know, grabbing this thing to the point of blood because he wanted the candy bar. So it was what he was grasping that he shouldn't have had that was keeping him from making whatever progress he wanted to make and throwing everybody else into turmoil. Now, hang on, I'm going to say that again. It was what he was grasping that he shouldn't have had that was holding him in bondage and causing everybody else to flip out. Are you grasping anything that's not yours? Do you have some dreams that aren't God's? Are you holding on to some stuff, some ideals, some dreams, some entitlement, whatever it might be? I don't know. Are you holding on to some things? Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace. It could be theirs. Come on. Come on. All right. Two more things. The Bible and Timothy, famous verse, God's not given us a spirit of fear. That's not what it says. I'm sorry. It doesn't say fear. Word for fear is phobos. You guys know that, phobia. And it's not in that verse. It's another word, and it means cowardice. It doesn't mean fear. It means cowardice. God's not giving you a spirit of cowardice. And that word in Greek means a spirit that makes you want to flee. You want to run from your life? You want to run from your calling? You want to run from the hard stuff? That's that spirit of cowardice, spirit that makes you want to flee. See, if we call it fear, then that's all about, you know, airplanes and dogs or whatever it is you're afraid of. But if we call it cowardice, that's about everything in your life. You can be a coward about your marriage. You can be a coward about reaching your neighbors. You can be a coward about what you're meant to do in your life's calling. Spirit of cowardice, spirit that makes you want to flee... You can be a coward about not having the conversation of confrontation or, or, or healing or cleansing you're supposed to have with somebody in this room before you go off after church. That, all kind, that's the stuff that keeps us from walking out our, our de, our, the destiny that we've been describing. And the final thing is this, and here's my prayer for you. I'm going to close with this as a prayer in just a moment after I preach for, you know, 20, 30 more minutes. <laughs> Acts 13, 36. I love this verse. Now, when David had served God's purpose... For his generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors. When David fulfilled God's purpose in his generation. That's all we really want, isn't it? I know you've got a shopping list of material things you want. I know you've got stuff you want for your kids. I do too. I know you want fine things. I, I understand all of that. I'm not, I'm not on your case about wanting the things of this life. It's, that's, that's, that's part of it. But ultimately, don't you want to hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful? Don't you ultimately want to fulfill God's purpose? Don't you ultimately want to be able to look back from the grave and sense the pleasure of God and that you fulfilled what you were made in the womb for in the first place? Isn't that ultimately what you want? Doesn't mean there can't be some laugh and some chicken fried steak along the way, but if that's all, I know where I am, if that's all that life is, then you understand we're just going to be living in perpetual disappointment. You'll never be as rich as you might be able to dream you could be. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I can dream some richness, right? If that's not even a word. I can dream. I can dream 92 private jets. I don't need 92 private jets. You follow what I'm saying? I don't need one, really. Delta's doing, well, not yesterday they didn't. But Delta's doing fine. You understand my point. We can get all preoccupied. We've got to have the latest whatever. 
I just want to have my needs met. I want to have money to give away. I want to take care of my kids. And I want to fulfill the will of Jesus. So listen up. Just look at me. May the Lord give you confidence that he rules in this world. May he dispel off of your lives spirit of fear that has attached itself to us, many of us. May he cause these scriptures of his rulership and his control and his lordship in the earth to live in your heart, particularly those scriptures that apply to you and your timing and how you, who you are and how you're here doing what, all of those divine placement issues. May he free you from your idols, bring you to repentance about that. May he remove a spirit of fear and give you a spirit of, of courage and faith and love and power. And may you fulfill the will of the living God for your life, no matter what the news report is, no matter what happens, no matter what tough things have happened to you or do happen to you, Jesus Christ is Lord, and God might not be safe, but he's good and he's got you. Everybody said, amen. Amen. That's the deal.